Hello, and welcome to the Macabre Family Podcast. Before we start, I want to apologize for not putting out an episode last week. My father-in-law sadly passed away on Sunday. Um, My husband has been by his side for the past week every day with him, so I've been busy with taking care of the house, working my normal job, and taking care of the kid, and as well trying to make sure my husband was doing okay, which, you know. So needless to say, last week was a very hard and stressful week for everyone. It is weird putting on an episode now knowing my father won't be listening because he had been supportive since every moment since I decided to do this. He was all for it, helped me at the beginning, told me stories of who I should cover, what I should cover, all that fun stuff. So I want to dedicate my episode to him, Thomas Cook. He was an amazing man and the best father-in-law I could have ever asked for. So this episode is for him. Okay, (laughs) now that I got it. (laughs) Today we are talking about the Bridgewater Triangle and today I have a special guest with me. Mikhail! Mikhail! Our sources for this episode are the documentary called The Bridgewater Triangle, and you can find it on Amazon Prime Video for free if you have Prime. Also, an article article <laughs> called Bridgewater Triangle, Massachusetts, Leg- uh, Legends of America, and Boo, The Tricks of the Bridgewater Triangle, ProvidenceJournal.com, and History Journal, uh, sorry, not History Journal, History.com. So, are we ready to start? Yes. Let's do it. So, in southeastern Massachusetts, there is a 200-square-mile area full of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, strange occurrences, and legends. This is called the Bridgewater Triangle. This name was coined in the 1970s by cryptozoologist and folklorist Lauren Coleman in his book, Mysterious America. Now, Lauren Coleman owns the Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine. Yes. You can talk. <laughs> okay, wait. Um, I've been dying to go there. I know Kirsten wants to go there, and I'm going to... Me and you I should think, go. I think I've gone. In Portland, the Cryptozoology Museum, it has a giant, like, Bigfoot statue. Y- yeah, I have gone then. With who? My school. What's well, this cool. was in fifth grade when we were studying stuff like that. So, that was it before... We started having to do virtual. Yeah. And it was like the one field trip where half the class went with another half of the class on the tour bus. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It was like we did a marine biology there too. Went to a museum about that and then we went there after. Well, I want to go, so. <laughs> we'll go. Okay. You can go again. <laughs> Yay! At the center of this whole spooky area is the Huckamuck Swamp. Long before the colonizers showed up, the Wampanoag tribe used the swamp since it was a great source for game and resources. Deer, animals, stuff like that. I was going to say, yeah, definitely not video games. No, (laughs) game-like animals. Yeah. They also use some areas for burial grounds. We know that now because archaeologists have found graves that are over 8,000 years old. That's, that's a long time. Right? <laughs> the Wampanoag people both feared and worshipped the swamp. They believed that the chief deity of death and disease called Hobomok 
was believed to live in the swamp. They called the swamp Hockamock, meaning the place where spirits dwell. The earlier colonizers were terrified of the swamp and called it Devil Swamp because, you know, they're good from... Good name. Right? Yeah, just the, good name. <laughs> the Hockamock Swamp encompasses 17,000 acres of the land and it is the largest freshwater swamp in Massachusetts. The swamp had also always been considered a place of spirits, a place of to fear, but also worship. King Philip's War only cemented the legends and ghosts. So, have you ever heard of King Philip's War? No. It sounds okay. like a great war. Huh? So that sounds like a great war. I don't think any war is great, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I said it. Oh. King Philip's, also known as the First Indian War, the Great Narragansett War, or Metacom's Rebellion took place in southern New England. So, you know it's a crazy war if it's got one, two, three, four names. <laughs> this is turning into my social studies class. Uh, just a little bit. It took place in southern New England from 1675 to 1676. Metacom was the second... Second? Second? <laughs> Son of Nowak chief Massasoit. Massasoit had signed a peace treaty with the colonists in Plymouth. This treaty didn't stop the colonists from taking over native land, though, because they were terrible, let's be honest. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This treaty didn't... What? After Massasoit's death in 1661, his eldest son, Wamasuda, later named Alexandra, Alexander, succeeded him, so once... Massasoit died, his older son took older his eldest son took over. In sixteen sixty two, the English arrested Alexander on suspicions of plotting war. Because again, the colonizers are terrible. During his time with the colonists being questioned, Wamasuda died. Metacom then came into power. Trying to show respect for the colonists, Metacom took the Christian name Philip. King Philip's War is considered the bloodiest war per capita in U.S. history. Around 600 colonists died and something like a couple thousand Native Americans died. They okay. say at least one in ten soldiers on each side died. That's bad. Yeah. All this blood and murder and anger, I mean, in one area, you have to think. It's just going to cause some bad juju. Bad juju is right. So... It was like a ripple effect on the land. I'm not going to get into crazy detail about King Philip's War. I think that's like a good full episode because there's a lot to it. Mm. Lots of people dying. King Philip, Boring. when he got murdered, was quartered, drawn and quartered, and his head was put on a spike in front of the um, colony, colonist little place for 25 years. What's wrong? Huh? What's wrong? Oh, it was just starting to hurt my ear on one side, so I just moved oh. it. The Bridgewater Triangle is a lot more than just a swamp and a year-long war between the Native Americans and the colonists. So there are a ton of towns included in this triangle, so we're going to go over them. Ready? <laughs> yeah. Let's count them out. We Wait, have Brockman, Brockman, Whitman, West and East Bridgewater, regular old Bridgewater, Middleborough, Dighton, Berkeley, Raynham, Norton, Easton, Lakeville, Seekont, and Taunton. Also, on the outskirts of the triangle, we have Rehoboth, Freetown, and Abington. 
That's a lot. Are those just towns? They're just towns inside of the Bridgewater Triangle. So the Bridgewater yeah. Triangle is 200 square miles, and it's like a triangle of places. So, the Bridgewater Triangle, as Lauren Coleman explained it, is a triangle where freaky and weird shit is going on basically all the time. Yeah. You don't have to like... raise your hand. You can talk. I feel like I'm in school. <laughs> um, wait. Is it like the Bermuda Triangle pretty much? So, but way worse. It's different. Because the Bermuda Triangle is in the water. This is on land. Yeah. So, it's different, but I mean for your brain, we'll call it, like, it's, like, the same idea. Like, an area of land made into a triangle of weird shit. Oh. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, the triangle lines aren't an end-all, be-all for the crazy stuff, either. The spooky stuff sort of bleeds out of the lines of the triangle. Although, in my opinion, I think the whole state of Massachusetts should just be encompassed in this area of unexplained ghost, cryptid, and every other odd and unusual thing. So, like, a lot of anger and death related to New England has happened in mass, pretty much, right? The mass hysteria of the witch trials, Salem and Connecticut. Yeah, I mean, Connecticut is Connecticut, but back in the day, they were all, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... King Philip's War, the colonization of America basically started right in Plymouth, when that dipshit Columbus came here. Yeah, he's a dipshit. <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of pain and misery started and ended right in Mass. Now, I'm not knocking Massachusetts in any way. My, I have family that lives there. My mom spent a good chunk of her childhood there before moving to Maine. It's just, back in the olden days, that's where people, like, were. And that's where colonizers, being shitbags took people's land and of course you're gonna get I would get mad if somebody came on our land and tried saying nope I live here now you know what I mean I'm just trying to picture you I can imagine that yep. get off of my land get off of my lawn no, it would be way worse <laughs> it would be way worse <laughs> so why don't we get in the nitty gritty of the Bridgewater Triangle since I've gone on a thousand tangents now <laughs> I don't think it's that many maybe just a little less like 900? <laughs> yeah, maybe just 998, 99 maybe. Like I said, in the 1970s, in Lauren, Lauren Coleman's book, Mysterious America, he dubbed the area the Bridgewater Triangle. One of the most common things people say while in the swamp is the feeling of being watched. A lot of people who make these reports are just hikers or hunters who don't really have knowledge of the Bridgewater Triangle lore. Yes? Why is it called the Bridgewater Triangle. I don't know. He that's what he named. Oh, because the Bridgewater it, part. Yeah, Bridgewater is the there's three towns in the triangle, East, West, and Bridgewater. East, West, East Bridgewater, West Bridgewater, and regular Bridgewater. It Remember like, we talked about the towns. Yeah. Oh yeah. It sounds like Berwick, Southbrook, Northbrook. See exactly. So the if we had a triangle here, it'd probably be called the Berwick Triangle. That'd be cool. <laughs> um. Like I said, re uh, hikers and hunters make reports of being watched in the triangle, or in the swamp. Christopher Pittman, who was a paranormal researcher, researcher, started researching the swamp in 1996 while he was still in high school in Attleboro. Attleboro. He is in a documentary and has spent a lot of time gathering information and accounts for people. From people. We're just going to go through accounts on different weird shit that has been reported. 
So, you want to start with some cryptids? I don't know what that is, but yes. In case you don't know, well, you don't know, do you? You don't know what a cryptid is? I mean, I know what a crypt key is from Big Bang Theory, but that's about it. Crypt key is a person. <laughs> yeah, that's what I just said. I know him from Big Bang Theory, but that's oh. it. No. It is, in the dictionary, defined as an animal, such as Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster, that has been claimed to exist, but never proven to exist. Wait, what does it again? An animal. That spell? has been claimed to exist but never proven. How do you spell that? Cryptid? Yeah. Why? I want to see if there's any images. It will show you Sasquatch, Loch Ness Monster. We're going to talk about a bunch of them. Okay. I know okay. what I'm doing after this. 1970, for two days and nights, a group of local and state police were tracking what they thought at first to be a large bear. When Lauren interviewed them about it, the information he got about the supposed bear was a little off. The bear would spend all the time walking upright. It was very large even for a bear. They estimate around seven feet tall. And there aren't any bears in the area. So. I'm gonna guess it's Bigfoot. Sasquatch. Yeah. Maybe. They never caught it. That's sad. But then again, I'm happy it never got caught. Yeah. Now, this case is weird. This this next one I'm going to talk about is a weird one. In one okay. place I saw, they say two officers, but in the documentary it only said one, so we're going to go with that. An officer was sitting in his car um, at night near the swamp. He said he felt the car get lifted up from the back. And when he turned around, there was a large hairy creature, basically, like I said, lifting the back of his car. Oh, jeez. That last not so funny, but stay. That's hey, scary. Still cool. <laughs> Right. I'd be happy to have that happen. I'd be like, hey, get your phone, take a picture. Well, this is 1970, so probably no pictures. No phones back then. Mm-hmm. Joseph DeAndre went to the swamp in the winter of 1978 with his friend Wayne. They had heard from a friend about Sasquatch, so they went exploring. They had their backs turned to the swamp looking around for footprints. Joseph said in his interview in the documentary that he had a voice in his head telling him to, like, turn around. And he's like, why? In his head, he's having a conversation with his voice. That'd be awesome, actually. And the voice is like, just turn around. And Joseph said in the interview, he's like, I don't hear voices. It's not, like, a normal thing. So he turned around, and on the opposite side of the bay, on the swamp, there was a large creature with dark hair all over its body. When he turned back around to get Wayne to look, when he turned back to where the creature was, it was gone. I just turned around hoping there would be like a big thing <laughs> behind me. After like, this encounter, Joseph formed the Bridgewater Triangle Expedition Team. After a while, they disbanded, and he then started the Paranormal Investigation Organization. So Joseph DeAndre is like a really important person in the world of Bigfoot in Massachusetts because he brought a lot of like, publicity to his story and stuff, so people would understand that we have Bigfoots, too, here, not just, you know, over in Washington and over there. Bigfoot! Bigfoot! Support for Bigfoot! Support for Bigfoot! (laughs) Also in the triangle, we have Thunderbirds. The Native Americans believe that the Thunderbird is a supernatural being. The enormous bird was a symbol of power and strength that protected humans from evil spirits. You can see the dis- depictions of Thunderbirds all over Native American culture. Totem poles, paintings, stuff like that. 
Oh, fun fact. What? So I learned. So, the Wabanaki, I knew this part already. Mm-hmm. The Wabanaki is a, all the Maine tribes in the southern Canada around Maine. Yep. Tribes together into like one big, big like tribe group. Yeah. Each, each like different like um, mini group like the Maliseet like uh, I'm just gonna use that example okay. would have different clans, but they would still be Maliseet. But they each clan like their characteristic traits. They would also have like um, a totem pole with like an am- animal on it, and that would be what they hunted normally, what they were good at hunting, and the characteristics of that animal would be the characteristics of that clan. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like the Thunderbirds is like a lot of totem poles. You'll see like a big bird at the top with the wings. That would be a Thunderbird. That's cool. So, in 1971, a police officer named Officer Downey saw a large bird, six feet tall, with around a 12-foot wingspan. He was on Winter Street in Mansfield, right outside the Triangle Lines. Like I said before, the stuff kind of bleeds out of the lines. Lauren Coleman came up with. Like, the lines aren't exact. He watched it as it slowly lifted itself up and fly away. What's wrong? The wingspan of it, was it each wing would be about 12 feet? The wingspan, so the length is like six feet, I guess. That would mean... It's huge. It's... Because mine is about six feet for my arms, like straight out. Your it arms aren't two. six feet, so your arms are as tall as your dad? Think of it, two two of your dads on each side of fur wings. <laughs> right? That's so you want to know where he saw this and why it's hilarious? He saw this bird on a place called Bird Hill. <laughs> right? I thought you were about to say, like, Sasquatch Hill or something. Or nope. something without hill, but with Bigfoot. No, oh, Bird Hill. <laughs> so, oh, giant cool. snakes. Are you interested in those? I mean, yeah, I want to pet snakes. Ew, gross now. We have, the, okay. we have those in this story, too. In the 1930s, there were reports of workers working in the swamp seeing giant snakes the size of stoved pipes. So back in the day, like, you'd have a cooking stove in a fireplace kind of thing, and the stoves would be, like, the pipes would be huge. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So giant snakes are slithering around. In those? Huh? In those? No, not in... They're as big as them. Holy! That'd be awesome. Imagine it would take up, like, my whole entire room just to keep it contained. Yeah. But it'd be cool. I'd have a pet snake that would take up pretty much my whole entire room as its habitat. But, like, a snake like that can't live outside. It'd die. Not up here. They, that's why big snakes like that are um, live in warm areas, because they're, what, cold-blooded? Um, yeah, I think snakes are cold-blooded. Let yeah. me see. No, you don't have to look. It's fine. <laughs> Mansfield okay. Mystery Cat. In 1993, there were multiple reports of a large, light, tan cat the size of a Great Dane. So, like, the size of the new pony Hazel got <laughs> for her birthday. Dude, don't Great Danes get bigger than that? Can't they, like, get bigger than that? About this, that, the pony is about the size of a, a full-grown Great Dane. Oh, yeah. 
Um, this was seen around Easton and Mansfield. Many people saw and reported the cat. Along with this cat... Okay. It was a tan cat. Sorry, I don't... Pres- yeah, I. it says it right there and I didn't read it. I there were reports said- of a large, light, tan cat. <laughs> I thought you had said tan cat. Did I? I don't remember. Along well, with this tan cat, there were also reports of a large, black, panther-type cat. Ooh. Wait. Maybe you would like that. You can I name it Serious Black... Cat too. <laughs> no, serious black cook number two. Yeah. Some no, of these reports one. have the two cats together, so like they're buddies. Mm, right? Cool. Adorable. One big one and big one small one? No, they're both large. Do... Oh, I was about to say, we should do that and get one of those big cats and put him with Sirius. They'd be so cute. Yeah. Probably try to eat him. There's what there was a search for the giant cat, um, but they could not find him. In May of 1993, a headless body of an African serval cat was found on the Easton Town line. This poor little guy was about 30 to 35 pounds. So you can own an African serval cat. They're pretty big. They're like the size of Ruckus now. That's how big they get? Yeah, about that, yeah. Have you ever seen an African serval? You can look that up while I talk. Okay, how do I spell that? Uh, S-E-R-V-A-L. S-E-R-V-A-L. Okay. They don't think the African serval was the cat witnesses were seeing, though. And they're big, like I said, but they're not that as big as people were seeing. And they are tan with dark spots. They're really cute. Um. Uh, so, like I said, they don't think that the African serval was what the witness was seeing because, like I said, it was too small. What is your problem? Yeah, he says the adult is normally about 26 pounds, yeah. Yeah, aren't they cute? Yeah. So, I don't, I would be more worried about the psycho who cut off a cat's head than the cat because, who the giant cat, that? because from all the research I do, people that hurt animals usually move to people next. It's like... Serial killers, a lot, like, there's, like, a, many things that put, like, little things that when people do it, you can know that they're a serial killer, like, severe bedwetting, animal mutilation, a head trauma, stuff like that. Yeah. So, who's cutting cat's heads off is somehow, sometimes how killers start. It make me actually want to murder somebody that did that. Well, he no. that. It's bad. It's a shitty person. Yeah. Philip Kane, an Abington resident living on Summer Street, he watched a large black and gray dog on his property. The next thing he knows, the dog went and attacked his two ponies, killing them. The dog was so large that it actually stood over the ponies. He shot at the dog but missed, and the dog took off running into the woods. For three days after the incident, the police searched the area for the dog, but he could not be found anywhere. Are you telling me a dog killed two ponies? Yeah, but a big, huge, huge, huge dog. Oh, I was about to say, we should probably make sure that fence is good around Hazel's pony. This this is a cryptid, but don't forget, we're talking about cryptids. Yeah. Bill Russo from Raynham. In 1990, was working a job where he would work from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Every night when he got home, he would take his dog Samantha for a walk. 
Samantha was a German Shepherd Rottweiler mix around 90 pounds. Samantha. Every night they would take the same route. This night, though, we decided to change it up. Isn't that, like, always the way, though? So you have a daily routine that's normal, and then one day you decide to change it, something weird happens? Yeah, that's usually how murder happens, isn't it? Like, well, nobody gets murdered. This night, Bill and Samantha walked down the high-tension wire route. As Bill and Samantha walked towards the road, Samantha started to not want to go any further, and she started to shake, as Bill put it, like an old Chevy. The next thing Bill heard was a high-pitched whale type of noise. It sounded like whatever the noise was saying was saying words, but he couldn't make out like what it was. He the thing was saying "e want chew," and it kept repeating "e want you kier, kier." Then, under the light of a street lamp, Bill saw a four-foot-tall, pot-bellied, hairy creature with big eyes standing there, like beckoning him to come to him. He said it had, like, a little face like a chipmunk, but with huge eyes. Run. I'm giving you advice. Run. (laughs) Bill said it wasn't threatening, but it clearly wanted Bill to come to his space. It never moved from where it stood. Bill surmised from what it sounded like the creature was saying, We want you here. Here. Bill turned around and hightailed it out of there. (laughs) Oh, okay. I thought thought you were about to say he went up to it. I was like, no. oh my god, you're dead. So before we go on, I'm going to try to explain what we think it was that Bill saw. Pukwudgies have been around in folklore a long time. All the way back to the Wampanoag native folklore. The Pukwudgies are troll-like creatures around three to four feet tall with smooth gray skin and large ears. The Pukwudgies of lore are known for causing mischief and mayhem. They were, used, they were said to use to be friendly to humans, but later turns against them. I'm not sure if what Bill saw was a puckwudgie, since they're supposed to have gray skin and big ears. Maybe it was something like a bait trying to get Bill to come to him so others could grab Bill. Maybe what Bill saw was like a -a one-of-a-kind cryptid we don't know for sure. I mean, when it comes to things like this, there is evidence, but until they catch it, we're not going to ever know, you know? And nobody, not everybody's ever going to believe in stuff like that. Yeah. Like somebody in this house. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Stephanie from the Macabre Family Podcast, your hostess with the mostest. I wanted to give you a little podcast recommendation for you to check out while you're waiting for new episodes of the Macaw Family Podcast to come out. This is Homegrown Horror, a Maine-based podcast. We have a host, B from Maine, and Jackson, who's from away. They do cases from Maine. They review movies based in Maine. I suggest you check them out. Homegrown Horror on all podcast platforms. Now, back to our show. That is all for our cryptid stuff. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And we're back. <laughs> Let's get into weird rocks. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Not moon rocks. There is a place in a triangle called the Ledge, or Assonant Ledge. I'm not sure if I said that right, but it is what it is. This is an 80-foot deep rock quarry that was left over from the Fall River Granite Company from the 1800s. At this place, people often talk about feeling like they're compelled to jump off the cliff. So, like, can you imagine going to a cliff and being, like, f- getting the feeling like somebody is telling you to jump? I'd 
want to run away. Right. There are reports of people actually jumping to their deaths. Other people report feeling a great sense of dread. There are rumors of a woman in white that walks along the cliff, but it's kind of like a good old story of a woman who waited for her lover, and when he didn't show up, she jumped to her death, death, and now she haunts the place, so... You've heard that story a million times about the woman in white, pretty much, right? Like, what, every... in other cases? Yeah, like, every ghost oh, story yeah. is always... A, yeah. There's so, always something wrong that I, happens. yeah, I don't buy the woman in white, but it is what it is. Does Profile... Anybody... Ro- yeah, I'm sure. That's true. Profile Rock is located in Freetown. It is said because... I said was because a lot like the old man in the mountain in New Hampshire, this phase also collapsed recently. Many believe the profile was that of Chief Massasoit, who you remember from earlier was a chief who brokered a treaty with the colonies and the father of Metacom, also known as King Philip from King Philip's War. You look confused. Now it's all coming back as so confused. Like, I was like, wait, who said again? This place had been... You do? Yep. This place had been sacred to the Wapanoag long before the profile was put to a person. They used this place for meetings and ceremonies. People have witnessed Native American dancers dancing around the rock. Also, a man has been seen sitting on the rock with outstretched arms. When people get close to what they thought they saw, it would be gone. They also have been reports of strange lights and orbs around the area and voices being heard with no one there. That'd be scary. Right? Have you had that happen to you before? No. I'm just kind of wondering that. No. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, I have. I'm sorry. Voices. Yes, I have. At my old house, I was in high school and I had gotten in trouble. And I was sent to my room. And I was sitting there mad and everybody was downstairs eating dinner or something. I and I, I kept hearing my name. So I went down and was like, yeah, what? Nice. What? Yeah. And mm-hmm. mom's like, I thought we told you to go to your room. Like, she was still pissed at me. And I was like, no, I heard somebody call my name and they said that it was not any of them. And the TV at that place would turn off and on. Nikki had seen a mist there. She got it on camera. The rocking chair would rock by itself. Yeah. Rocking chair part. Eh. Well, no, Nikki, everybody uh, would be asleep. Nikki would be downstairs because me and Nikki's room was in the basement. She could hear the rocking chair like, it's not a rocking chair, sorry, like a um, a recliner rocking back and forth on the floor. And she heard somebody run down the stairs, uh, the basement stairs, and then jump. Yeah. I'd want to move out of that house immediately. But nothing ever felt, like you never felt uncomfortable or anything. It's just stuff that happened. It wasn't anything bad. Yeah. In 1916, 27-year-old Evelyn Packard from Brockton went to West Bridgewater to the swamp to take a canoe trip. She then went missing. While looking for Evelyn, they made a discovery. It was called Solitude Stone or Suicide Stone since, well, they found Evelyn's body near it. There is a poem on the rock they believe it is by Timothy Otis Payne of the New Church of Jerusalem. The inscription reads, All ye who in future days walk by... Nuncasset stream, love not him who hummed his lay, cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wowed. That's just I don't know. It's a weird rock that a guy put a poem in. Mm-hmm. 
But at a first, when they found it, they didn't know who did it kind of situation, so it freaked everybody out. A weird walk with a weird poem written poem. by a weird guy. He was a, he was a priest. Oh. Okay. In Rehoboth no, 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 is okay. Anawan Rock. This is where, in 1676, Captain Benjamin Church led a group of soldiers here to capture the last of the resistance, as they called it, after Metacom was killed. Here they captured Wampanoag Chief Anawan, ending King Philip's War. Like I said, I want to do a whole episode on King Philip's War, but yeah, some sketchy stuff happened here with the colonizers, you know, as usual. Colonizers colonizing shit. At this place, people now hear voices speaking Elegonquin, phantom drums beating, and fires that emit no smell, and when people get closer, are gone. What? What such thing is a fire that it emits no smell? Yes, a fire, a ghost fire. Then how would you know there's a fire? You can see it. They see a fire flickering, and when they go to get closer, they don't. There's no, it's not there. That's what I'm saying. If it was a real fire, you'd smell it. Are you saying that, like, you know how ghosts can't really, like, pick up objects? Yes. I guess. Okay. I don't know. I mean, we don't really know that, but I don't think they can. Uh, right now, a anyway. pulley would disagree, but okay. He just told us about, he went, I mean, Judy stayed in that um, bed and breakfast, and he saw, like, a mist at night coming across the room and then it went through the wall and then a book fell oh jeez right? yeah, I didn't think about that I mean anyways it's like I was thinking like oh wait they can't start a fire they're dead it's a ghost fire like that is cool. so a lot of ghost theories are that they do what they normally would do in life like walk the same path stuff like that is do you think it's true that you if you are a ghost, you still wear the same clothes that if you as when you die. I'm not a no. ghostologist. Wait, there's such thing as that? I have no idea. <laughs> I know what my job's gonna be if there is. <laughs> now, one of the greatest mysteries in all of the rock stuff is Dighton Rock. It is a 40-ton boulder. They pulled it out of the water and found etchings carved all over it. For more than 300 years, people have tried to figure out who carved into the rock. There are lines, geometric shapes, drawings, and writings. They have four main theories on who has etched into it. They think it could be Native Americans, Vikings, Portuguese, or Phoenicians. I had to look up what Phoenicians were because I did not know. They are an ancient Theocratic civilization originating in the Levant region of eastern Mediterranean, primarily located in modern Lebanon. So that's that. But nobody knows for sure what the etchings say, who put them in there, all that fun stuff. I say you pronounced it well for the first time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Blah, 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 blah. But we don't know. Theocratic. If you, if you type it into Google, I know you I can. I know I can. Oh, I just there. didn't. Yeah, it's no. Been, it's been crazy. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for some UFOs? UFOs. UFOs. We should make a song for whenever there's a, something about a UFO in our podcast. <laughs> where it says, UFOs. 
UFOs. That's an idea. In 1908, there were two undertakers in a carriage who saw a strange sight on Halloween night. They explained it looked like a balloon sack floating in the air, and it was up in the air for like 45 minutes to an hour. A balloon sack is literally a sack that you carry balloons in. So, there you go. What's the sting of that? Huh? In 1908, there was. Okay, that's weird. In 1979, there was heightened UFO activity all around the Triangle. Two WHDH reporters, Steve and Jerry, saw a bright light on the tree line by the dog track, so they pulled over. The stars blotted out where they saw, in Jerry's word, a home plate style ship with lights on it. You know what a home plate looks like, right? Do you mean like home plate on baseball field? Yep. That would be the only thing that has home plate. Like where you're batting, and then when you want to score a point where you have to run home? Yeah, it's the home plate. Yeah. Okay. Jerry and Steve both said it was about five 747s wing to wing wide. And even at some point, sparks were shooting off from it. Wait, do they mean Boeing 747s? Like, that's what it looked like? No. Five Boeing 747s wing to wing. If you put them wing to wing, that's how wide it was. Gotta listen to me, man. They'd be like, probably like over a thousand feet. They'd probably be like a hundred thousand feet. That'd be more than a football field. They said it was... Uh, I think a couple of football fields. Sarah, Jerry said it was so close that he felt like he could have thrown a rock and hit it. Jerry, being an Air Force vet, knew about planes, and he knew it was not something that was ours, as he put it. They were both skeptics, but after hearing other people's reports later about seeing the same thing, they decided to finally come forward with the story. So they saw this, kept it to themselves, because they didn't want people to think they were crazy, and then a bunch of people started coming forward saying telling what they saw and all of them matched up so everybody saw the same thing this happens to any of you don't think you're crazy tell <laughs> in march of 2011 Derek holt caught something in the sky over Raynham. he was seeing strange lights that would blink different colors more than just like normal red and green of a plane they would be blue red green and white the bright light then would then all of a sudden open up and turn into a large craft that's cool Then all around it, other lights would light up and move all around the big one. He caught this all on camera. He said it was like the smaller ones were working with the large ship. I want to move here. Ghost time! Ghost! (laughs) I have bad singing. Oh, it's beautiful. Thanks. Route 44 in Rehoboth is supposed to have a red-headed hitchhiker. He is a red-headed man with a beard wearing jeans and a flannel shirt. He sometimes will appear in the car when you pass him, and he can supposedly manipulate your radio, or if you pick him up, he sits there quietly and then just disappears. I'm picturing somebody. This is, this is like one of, another one of those where there, there's no real first-hand accounts. Everybody that talks about it is like, my brother's sister saw it, or my cousin's my uncle. My friend's of friend saw yeah. it. Yeah, so there's no first-hand knowledge of it. sketchy. So there's no record of any red-headed guy getting killed to warn a ghost wandering around in lumberjack clothing. Oh, good. I don't have to picture that again. <laughs> I think if this is some kind of like one of those legends that goes around and around, but never... Like somebody like, said something in a tur- the game of telephone, you know? 
as I say, it's a game of telephone, but every little detail might be changing, like every, like, ten years, maybe, every, yeah. like, five years, you never know. The Rehoboth Village Cemetery has some stories there. In the older section, there is said to be a ghost boy running around the tombstones, like, wanting to play. A woman in white is seen floating around the tombstones as well. Here is my big question for the cemetery ghost that's always in white. If someone mourning a death, don't you think they'd be in black? But maybe, maybe they were buried in white? I don't know. I mean... But it's feel, I always feel like it's a woman in white, right? I mean, what if that's what they died in? I mean, that's how I've seen stuff. Then again, those are just fake shows, but still, I mean... Yeah, but it's always a woman in white. I feel like that's the go-to, right? Yeah. Well, it's a mother that's in a white... There's also a man in 19th century dark clothing seen wailing and pounding at the ground. See, that I think is more plausible. Like a guy in 19th century clothing, like he's mourning somebody and is, you know, still looking for them. Also, vapors or a fog-like thing is seen coming out of the woods and floating around the cemetery when there isn't weather for fog. That'd be cool. We hope it <laughs> in East Bridgewater seem to have the highest amount of ghost stories, but they are everywhere. The Freetown Fall River State Forest is a 10,000-acre state preserve that has had a lot of satanic stuff going on there. Alan Alves is a retired detective and was put on a task force to look into animal sacrifices that were going on. So, like, how many animal sacrifices do you have to have before you make a task force about it? A lot. Mm. I mean, sometimes they make us FBI task force if they're, like, hunting down, like, a serial killer. Then again, see, serial killer. Ten? Put up your hands. I keep hearing you clicking stuff. Sorry. While he was patrolling around the forest, he witnessed people in ropes. There are murders associated with Fall River. One I'm sure everyone knows is Leslie Borden. Have you heard of that? What? Lizzie Leslie Borden. Borden? No. Yeah. Took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Well, we're gonna... But there are also wait. satanic cult murders there. Wait, wait. Do you mean... When you say okay. wax, do you With mean 40... Axe. You wax... Like, that's how many times she whacked no, it? No, like it's, how... it's just a, a rhyme. She killed... Oh. Well, supposedly she did... I don't know. I don't want to get into it, because <laughs> that's, like, a whole Another episode. Another case. Yeah. Um, those are both episodes worthy of cases, so in my, like, research for this episode, I've written down, like, five different cases I'm going to want to do. Oh, and if you want to hear those episodes, maybe you guys should, like, keep liking, following our podcast. There you Please. go. <laughs> my little hype man. In 1980, people were digging up old graves and removing the skulls for satanic rituals. Oh. Wait, wait. Didn't you do an episode on this? Not yet. I thought that people were doing that on another case. Uh, maybe. But I don't think I have that. Might have been another podcast, dang it. Maybe. In 1999, on the darkness side of the forest, a dozen baby cows were mutilated with all the blood taken from them. This is the last known instance of an animal sacrifice in the forest. Now, to be honest, 
I think I could go on for more episodes of the about the Bridgewater Triangle. It could take three, four episodes if I wanted to go like into further into depth with everything that has happened and what we know about the area. But I just want to give you a little appetizer of all the craziness that goes on in the Bridgewater Triangle area. Like I said before, all this stuff isn't confined to the lines of the triangle that Lauren came up with back in the 70s. So, it's just a small little spooky episode for October Oddities. Next week's, next week's episode will be more of the same spooky season style. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Don't forget to check us out on all the social med platforms. Facebook is the Macabre Family Podcast. Instagram is Macabre Family. TikTok is Macabre Family Podcast. You can also email us with episode suggestions and all that at macabrefamilypod at gmail.com. And that's M-A-C-A-B-R-E family pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being understanding about the episode delay. Thank you all for listening. Stay spooky. Bye. Don't forget to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.